we as women, I think particularly women of color, are trained to just swallow things and push ahead. Um, you know, we are innately caregivers and caretakers, even if we don't have children, biological or otherwise, of our own. And I just think that it is, I think it is fundamentally really important that women who are dealing with painful circumstances or situations in their lives, that they just take a moment to, you know, do what you did and really listen to that inner voice and acknowledge it and try and get a sense for what, what you need to move through these things with greater ease. You've gotten great at divine working, but what about divine living? Welcome to the Divine Living Podcast. I'm your host, Gina DeVee. You're not alone in wanting more. And here at the Divine Living Podcast, you can expect to be part of conversations from women like us who unapologetically dream big and are obsessed with manifesting our most fabulous lives. The conversation starts now. My queen, oh my goodness, what an incredible, incredible, heartful, soulful, powerful, profound episode I have for you today. I have the great honor of being here with Marissa Renee Lee. She is the author of Grief is Love, and my goodness, does she just reveal her story of realness, transformation, all the things. She's incredible. She's gone to Harvard. She worked in the Obama uh, administration in a number of capacities. She's the CEO of Beacon Advisors. Uh, she's the co-founder of Supportal, the founder of the Pink Agenda. I mean, this woman is the real deal, the whole package. She's career woman. She is mother. She is wife. She is daughter. She is sister. And now she is our newest friend in the divine living community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this incredible episode. All righty, queens. Welcome to today's Divine Living Podcast. It is my great, great pleasure and honor to be here with Marissa Renee Lee, the author of Grief is Love. She has so many impressive credentials. She's worked in the Obama White House, and I could go on and on. Um, but as a former psychotherapist, I know how important this subject is on this great new book that she has just written. And I really want to dive into the depths of it so that you get to know this extraordinary woman and also for you to really be taken care of on your journey. We know that every woman has a story and too many women are suffering in silence or thinking that think that there's something wrong with them or they need to, not that I have anything on, on it, but they need to medicate in some form or another. They need to do things to get through the pain. And I think that we learn through stories. And when we hear this extraordinary author and advocate's story, <laughs> you're going to feel uh, even more at home here. So Marissa, welcome to the show. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm super pumped to be here. So yeah, let's just, let's just jump right in. Let's dive right in. So let's give our listeners a little bit of the backstory that led you to writing this extraordinary and important book. So when I was a kid, uh, both my parents were 
super active and involved parents, you know, the folks who were always on every field trip and teaching Sunday school, coaching basketball, et cetera. And then one day everything changed. Um, when I was 13, you know, the way I remember it in my brain is just one day my mom got sick and she never got better. And it would take years to figure out what was wrong, but she had multiple sclerosis. And so I grew up uh, with a sick and disabled parent, which was definitely a challenge, but we, we were all collectively committed to getting through it, which definitely looked a little different in the 80s and 90s versus what it looks like today. But we got through it. I ended up at Harvard. And then the week that I was graduating from college, my mom had been pretty sick throughout my senior year, lots of mm-hmm. hospital stays and, and at doctor's offices. And it turned out she actually had stage four breast cancer on top of her MS. And so and it wasn't detected. No, no, that is a oh, whole God. other uh, episode uh, focused on, you know, how we really need to listen to women especially women of color um, and bias that we know exists in the healthcare system. But sadly, even though my mom was a woman who got her regular mammograms and was generally very good about taking care of herself in that way, it was, it was not detected. So the woman had multiple sclerosis and stage four breast cancer that had migrated at that point throughout her skeletal system. And so I decided Uh, after four years at college to actually move back home and help my parents figure out this complicated diagnosis, healthcare situation, et cetera. And after a year, I started my job in banking and was still, you know, back and forth to my parents trying to support them. And, you know, we, we always knew that a stage four breast cancer diagnosis meant that my mom was going to die and that it was going to be soon, but she was a fighter and she Mm. did, you know, she did as well as someone could have for a pretty long time. And then when I was, uh, when I was 25, she had just turned 49 and she passed away. Mm. And I thought, because, you know, I was, I was very honest with everyone in my life, you know, work colleagues, friends, et cetera, about what was going on with my mom. You know, I knew that she was really sick and that it wasn't, it wasn't something that she was going to recover from. So I thought that I had prepared myself to lose my mother. You know, I, I read Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's I'm Death and Dying. I found a halfway decent therapist. Like I, I checked all of the boxes and I even went so far as to have the conversations with my mom about, you know, her funeral, what she wanted to do with mm-hmm. different pieces of jewelry and, you know, all, all of the things. And then when the moment actually came, I was, I was a mess. I was Mm. unmoored. I had anchored myself to this woman who was also, you know, even sick, a wonderful mother and, Mm -hmm. you know, my best friend, but she was also someone who I helped care for since I was 13. And so, you know, I didn't, yeah. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't know why I was so sad, which in retrospect, Mm -hmm. that's crazy. Uh, But I really, I really thought that there was something wrong with me for being so just stricken and lost and overwhelmed and sad about the fact that my mom had died. So I didn't. Yeah, go ahead. Why do you think it, that was the experience you had in your body that there was something wrong with you? 
I think that we have this idea in this country, you know, in our culture, that if you are sad or angry or, you know, even dealing with anxiety, depression, et cetera, that like it is your job to fix it as Mm. quickly as possible. Mm. But what we fail to understand is that, you know, the, the fullness of the human experience requires emotions beyond just happiness and joy. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, you know, I know at my sort of baseline level, I am a happy, positive, joyful person. You know, I am, oh, the glass is half full. But, you know, if you look at it this way, maybe it's actually three quarters full. Mm-hmm. And these are all the things we can do with it. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's my mentality. And so to, to have something happen that was in like the emotional realm that was just so challenging and overwhelming and full of these emotions that I judged as negative that I couldn't fix. Mm. It made me think, oh, there must be something wrong with me. But really, one of the things I actually point to in my book is, you know, according to research, at birth, you only have six core emotions, you know, that, that you are born with as a human being. And when we look at them, it's, it's joy, but it's also anger, sadness, disgust, surprise, and fear. And we think of, we tend to think of many of those as bad. And we need to stop thinking like that because it puts people in this place of, you know, constantly trying to be quote unquote, okay. And what I really think we need to do is redefine okay. Like mm-hmm. it is okay to have a day where you wake up and you just feel sad, even if your mom didn't just die. Mm-hmm. And if your mom did just die and you're having a hard time, there are very real reasons for it. You know, like grief, you obviously know this. Grief has a, a very tangible impact on the body and on the brain. You know, the second someone you love is no longer here, your body and your mind have to go through certain processes to accommodate for that new information. Mm -hmm. And so it it should be hard, but nobody was telling me that. So I thought I was, you know, messed up. I think what's hard is when we don't have an education or an understanding around it. You know, the, yes. the, the, the feelings themselves are just feelings. It's almost exactly. like different colors of the rainbow. There's or different flavors of food. There's chocolate, vanilla, strawberry. There's yes. sadness, happiness, joy, boredom. You know, there's yes. life. Yes, um, exactly. When, it's life. When we don't, when a when we're so, too busy to even be in tune with what we're feeling, you know, there's just that of everyone, and particularly women, overriding yep. their intuitions, overriding basic. I'm tired. I'm hungry. Let yes. alone I'm I'm sad or I'm afraid. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and that's where we do see diseases developing in the body or like being caught off guard even for having certain emotions and feelings. Um, I remember I, I, uh, my whole life I wanted to, I'm Italian. So I thought, of course I'd have kids and I was always going to have four. And then I grew up and met my soulmate and was like, well, this is just fun. I'm going to like be with him until we have kids. And then 
that was 32 and that was 35 and that was 40. And I was like, <laughs> one girlfriend said to me, Gina, what's up with you and kids? I'm like, we're having them. And she looked at me and she said, unless you must, don't. I never, I never realized and never asked my soul, Gina, does your soul want biological children? And I asked and I heard no. And I'm relatively speaking, a happy person. I've gone through my challenges and had my dark nights of the soul. So a, a deeper level of depression is foreign in my system. And when I heard no, I, I dropped into a deep depression. Yeah. I realized I was mourning uh, the, the death of a dream that I'd carried my whole life that wasn't even mine. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. so it's like these different. It's real. There's, there's, and I know you talked about not only losing your mother, but why don't we talk about some else of what you talk about in the book and other kinds of loss? Yeah. So, um, you know, when, when I lost my mom, I felt a sense of responsibility to her to be okay. And at the time I defined that as continuing to go to work, continuing to succeed, you know, raising money for breast cancer, trying to do what I could to support my father and my sister who were also struggling with my mother's loss, but I didn't, I didn't view any part of that as like really being about myself and sort of taking care of myself. And so, you know, I white knuckled it. I pushed forward. I realized I just lost my mom. I want to go for something big. I had this feeling of entitlement after she died when it came to my professional accomplishments. And so I harassed everyone. So I felt like, and I, I can remember this so well, I can remember sitting in the Equinox in Soho, uh, writing this down and sort of like making these career plans and feeling like the worst thing has happened. Like the universe owes me, God owes me, you know, whoever, like, like the, like the worst thing has happened to me. I could not stop it. I did everything in my power to support my mom, you know, to help her transition as peacefully as possible. Like I, I did my part and suffered greatly. And I felt like, you know what, like you owe me. Mm. So what am I going to go for? I also felt this very intense time pressure. You know, my parents had my sister and I, when they were young, I mean, you know, how it was in the seventies and um, my mom, when she died, you know, she had just turned 49 I had turned 25 the month before, and I suddenly felt like, you know, what if my story is going to be similar to her story? You know, she was sick at 37, sick again at 45, dead at 49. So I felt like, okay, Um, if that happens, what are the things that I really want to try and accomplish in my life? And it was, you know, getting married, having a kid. At the time, it was writing a book, believe it or not. And I wanted to work for the first black president. And I said, okay, you know, what of those things can you sort of control, I guess? And I went for Obama and it worked. And so I came to DC now, gosh, almost exactly 12 years ago and worked for the president in a variety of positions in the White House, across the administration. And while I was here, of course, you know, met a guy, we got a dog, we got married, all the things. But also while I was here, I learned probably around the time my mom was dying, I lost my ability to naturally become a mother myself. Um, I have an underlying health condition that they think was probably caused by trauma and stress. 
mm-hmm. um, which was very hard to hear. Um, but essentially, like my ovaries just shut down and never started functioning again. And so, you know, going into my marriage, we knew that it was going to be a journey to figure out, you know, how we were going to start our family, how we were going to grow our family. And so, we spent years like doing research, saving our money, doing IVF, doing egg donor IVF. Finally, became pregnant in 2019 and had a pregnancy loss in August of that year. And I will never forget, you know, being like curled up in as small as possible on the bathroom floor mat in our bathroom here and just feeling like just, just completely broken. Mm. And all I wanted in that moment was my mom. Mm-hmm. And that then led to me questioning, like, you know, what is grief? What does it mean to get over it? What does moving on look like? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, how do we actually define what we're supposed to do after we lose someone we love who's been foundational to our life? Because mm-hmm. I realized laying on the bathroom floor, like crying for a woman who had been dead for over a decade, that I wasn't over it. Mm-hmm. So like, what was I? Um, which led to this book. Grief mm-hmm. is love. I was not over it and I will never be over it. And that's okay. And, and I mean, what would that even mean or look like? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, like, that's the question you start asking. Like, what, what are you trying to get over? Like you shared love with another person. Mm-hmm. You shared your life with another mm-hmm. person, you know, whether it's a spouse, a sibling, a child, a parent, and now they're gone. There's no getting over that there's just like you have to learn how to live with it mm-hmm. um, whatever that means for you and it's different for everybody it is it is and what do you want people to really get from reading this book so the first thing I want people to understand is that my book is not a roadmap I think of it more as a compass you know these are the things that have enabled me to access the healing that I need and to live a full, joyful life without my mom. Um, So, you know, I want people to know, you know, that like, that's me. Um, But that, but like how your journey progresses, it may be very different from mine and that's okay. And so like the, like the book is compass, not a roadmap. And wherever you are in your grief journey, like you are okay. You know, I I don't want people to make the mistake that I made of thinking that there was something fundamentally wrong with me as a person for being so sad because it's just not true. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and then I also, you know, one of the things that was important to me because again, it's, it's my story of my journey, losing my mom and the pregnancy, and then also a cousin uh, in the COVID pandemic, but I want people to know that some of the things about grief are the same for all of us. And so I worked to integrate the leading research on grief and loss and bereavement into the book so that, you know, when you have those days where you're like, oh my God, why do I still feel this way? Like, what is going on? This is so frustrating. You can turn to the book and see that what you're feeling, what you're experiencing is not only like truly normal, but it is normal based on what your body and your brain are supposed to be going through. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, as a human who's worked with women for the past 20 years and seen all the different types 
of grief um, that women experience and typically invisibly and silently. Yep. You know, there, of course, there's, there's bereavement around death. There is that around divorce, mm-hmm. loss of job, yep. um, waking up and to and becoming aware of or remembering past sexual abuse. Yeah. Um, you know, family estrangement, um, you know, the almost the the opposite grieving of what you and your mother had and family. Oh, like, yeah. You know, like, um, you know, families are falling apart and not yeah. speaking to each other. And so almost like I've, I work with women who are grieving the loss of their living daughters and sons yep. because of whatever family dynamics, addiction, et cetera. And so um, what would you say to these women who are like kind of existing? Like they're, they're putting on the good face. They're going back to work. They're pushing through. They're good people. They're like, I can't yeah. change it, but everything I know to change it. And this is just the way it is. Yeah. I would say we as women, I think particularly women of color, are trained to just swallow things and push ahead. Um, you know, we are innately caregivers and caretakers, even if we don't have children, biological or otherwise of our own. And I just think that it is, I think it is fundamentally really important that women who are dealing with painful circumstances or situations in their lives, that they just take a moment to, you know, do what you did and really listen to that inner voice and acknowledge it and try and get a sense for what what you need to move through these things with greater ease you know because it's never going to be easy if if you know talking about addiction divorce job loss like other challenges that just happen in the course of being alive mm-hmm. you know it's there are some things that are just not easy at all but are there things is there something even just one thing that you could do today to make it a little bit less burdensome. And it could be as simple as, you know, giving yourself permission to be upset Mm -hmm. or to be angry or disappointed or, you know, whatever emotion you're judging as inappropriate. Like maybe it's just opening yourself up to that so you can move through it easier. Maybe it's taking, you know, 10, 15 minutes to go for a walk on a sunny day just to like hit reset briefly, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's, it's not all, I think, I think we have these, these notions of self-care that are very attached to capitalism and like specifically the beauty industry. Manicure. And (laughs) and I mean, I got my nails done. Like I'm not like, I'm not trying to hate on the nails. I love my nails. Um, I think, I think real intentional self-care is deeper than that. You know, like, I think there is an interiority to it that is really about you as an individual and like, what is going to make the hard time that you're in just a tiny bit easier. You know, I started at one point during the pandemic, like the early months of the 2020 craziness, you know, so probably March, April, still sick from my pregnancy loss. 
Uh, my husband was getting ready to take a job on the front lines of the pandemic. Obviously, we're surrounded by grief. The whole world has shut down. So there's like no room for distractions. And at the time, I was carrying kind of a crazy workload trying to finish this book. Um, and uh, or I should say trying to uh, start the book proposal, my bad. And so I started at the end of each day, like I would have a solo dance party. I made this post-COVID playlist that still hasn't seen a real live party yet. Um, and I would just like put that on, put my headphones on, you know, a couple of times my husband would come in and think, oh, she's doing a workout or, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, you, that dancing, too. <laughs> like a crazy person, because for me, just getting like getting all of the frustration and sadness, like out of my body, you know, that was just another way to release it. Um, so yeah, whatever works for you. Well, you know, it's bio, it's been proven to be biologically impossible to experience depression at the gym. Like when the body is moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned that from a Tony Robbins something um, that is biologically impossible to experience depression when you're like moving your body like that. Um, And so you exquisitely, you know, spoke about that through, through dance. Um, You know, I think the the thing that is almost illegal for women globally is to prioritize themselves. You know, like yeah. this, is, this is where self-care, actual self-care comes in is making yourself the priority. Yeah. It's really hard time space. Um, you know, saying that like I matter, my needs matter. I'm going to like not answer that text. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to yeah. sit in silence. Sometimes my husband will come into my office. Like, what are you doing? I'm like I'm taking space. I'm just, yes, just I love that. space. Yes. Are you journaling? No. Are you reading? No, I'm just sitting here and I'm taking space. I literally just lay on the floor. Like I wrote probably mm, half of that book on my iPhone. Cause I would just lay on the floor being like, I don't know what I'm going to say next. I don't know what this chapter is about. I just need to just like lay here and close my eyes for a second. And then it would start to come. So I would just do it on my iPhone. Beautiful, beautiful. And Moving forward now to today, you talk about living a life full of joy, even with all of the emotions around grief and loss. Um, Would you say that your life is filled with joy these days? It is definitely challenging uh, these days. There, There is a lot of joy. There's also a fair amount of struggle. Um, You know, the grief the grief is always there in some capacity. And the thing that I have to still today, you know, remind myself of, and my mom has now been gone for just over 14 years. And when good things happen is another time when I tend to struggle with my grief a bit, you know, like not being able to share experiences with her and even just feeling the loss of her comfort and encouragement you know, if I had said to my mom when I was a kid or even when I was in my 20s, I've actually decided now I want to be an astronaut and I'm going to try and, you know, train to do that starting tomorrow. She would say, that's great. You know, make sure you do whatever these three things, like just mm-hmm. her support was completely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I miss that as I get ready to put this book out into the world. I also mm-hmm. have a business that I run and um, my husband and I, we're very, very, very lucky. Our five-year journey to becoming parents 
ended in August with the mm-hmm. arrival of a newborn baby boy. So I have a seven month old. Um, so lots of joy there. A little yes. bit less joyful when it's like three o'clock in the morning and he's teething. Uh, <laughs> um, but but yeah, it's 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 a balance, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's not joy twenty four seven, but mm-hmm. it is it is finding ways to be intentional and grateful and present when shit is hard mm-hmm. that leaves room for the fullness of joy, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember one time I was speaking on stage and, um, you know, our, our culture so glorifies youth and, you know, like whatever teenage beauty and the glory yeah. days of the 20 somethings. And I was like, you know, I was probably definitely past 40. I'm 49 now. So I don't know, maybe it was oh my God, you look amazing. Thank you. <laughs> I was like 45, I think. And I was like, look, with all due respect to the millennials out there and like looking great, I'm like, here, you know, here's where we need respect. If you like, once you're past 25, 35, 45, 55, 65, you know, and you can still have a smile on your face and actually experience, or you're like, you're still you're good. like going for it or dusting yourself yes. off. I, I didn't need that much to dust myself off. I didn't have this story in my twenties. My, my knocks came more in the lessons of deeper lessons in life came for me more in my thirties. So it's like, I didn't need that much to get going or brush myself off your thirties. There's still like a lot of life. And then you're in your 40s and you're like, whoa, I've been through some stuff now. And like, and now as I approach fifties, I was like, how are the twenties, the glory years? I think this is glorious that I still look good, feel good. And I'm brushing myself off and continuing to go. That's glory. Like, and having fun, right? Like mandatory. If you're not having, if you can't have fun on this journey, like what are we doing? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Oh my God. I love it. Grief is love. All right. So Marissa, tell us, we're going to get like, where can people find you? You've got some pretty cool stuff coming up and I want them to hear from you, how they can participate and get involved with uh, events and things like that you got going on. Yes. Thank you. So the book officially comes out on April 12th. Um, that week and yes, grief is love, uh, that week and the following week, there are a handful of online and also live in-person events. Say your prayers, cross your fingers. We'll we'll have all the links in the show notes. Where are the in-person events? So in person, we're going to be at RJ Julia bookstore on April 14th in Madison, Connecticut. Um, and on April 21st, we are going to be in New York City with Brooke Shields. Whoa! We're still finalizing a location, but we will be in conversation together. And for folks who didn't know this, Brooke has actually experienced quite a bit of grief um, and loss throughout her life. And she's just a wonderful person to chat about the, these things with. Um, we will be here in D.C. on May 7th at Politics and Prose. And we'll be updating other event timing and dates and locations throughout the next few weeks. So folks should definitely follow along on Instagram. I'm Marissa Renee Lee. And over there, you can also sign up for my newsletter, which will have all these updates as well. Beautiful. And we will have all of this in the show notes, everyone. It's, um, it's a really beautiful read. I think the other thing too, we shared the same publisher, which is how Marissa <laughs> connected. I was like, Krishan, we're like, who is this woman? Like, g- give me your best people from a podcast. And, um, 
you know, when I heard a grief is love, I was like, at first she was like, well, I don't know that that's like divine living. I was like, at divine living, we, we do it all here. Yes. Yeah, send it on over. And as substantive as this is, it's not heavy. Oh, like, thank you. As, that was the goal. It's like, I started reading it and I, you know, I kind of braced myself. I was like, okay, I kind of have an idea. I've read the press release. I got it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, but I'm here for it. And I started to read. I was like, oh, not like this is as, as much empathy and compassion as I had for what you were so vulnerably sharing. There was this, um, I don't know how else to say it. There's a lightness to your style and your. Oh, that makes me so happy. <laughs> and it's like I was like, oh, it, like it that like. I mean, I was going to read it anyways, but maybe want to read more. Like it was oh, like good. that makes oh, me so I happy. Like float into this journey, and of course, your story is not the same of, as mine. But what's most personal is most universal, and I was finding my own story in yours as well. So. If anyone's thinking like, well, my mom didn't just die, so I don't need this book. Don't don't sell yourself short, ladies. Get this grief is love because it's really um, it's a story of womanhood from from a very oh, I love soulful, that. integrated, holistic place. Um, and it's it's a really beautiful read. And you're going to get to get to know this extraordinary woman so much more by reading her book. Thank you so much. That is so kind. Oh my goodness. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's all true. Well, Marissa, it has been such a joy to be here with you. We in the Divine Living community are celebrating you and supporting you at this book launch. We, uh, we, we know what that's like. Mine came out March 3rd, 2020. So oh, Jesus. <laughs> yes. So, so I, you got a good sister here in getting support to get the book Ooh. out into the world. Right now. <laughs> so yeah, I will, I will sing it from the rooftops. We'll make sure our people get it. Thank and, you. Uh, I'd love to stay in touch with you as well. Yes, please. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. goodness how much did you love 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 this conversation please go ahead and take a screenshot of this episode right now and I want you to tag me on Instagram and share with me what your biggest takeaway was I love being in conversation with you hearing from you DM me um, and I really love getting what is the one big takeaway that you got from this episode let me know on Instagram 